The Fake Show is brought to you by Threads of Envy, the law firm of Hutchison and Stefan, the Craft House Brewery, the Tone Factory Recording Studio, Moonshot.com T-shirt designs, and by Mr. Antenna. It's The Fake Show with Jim Tofty. The wild and crazy Ian Hunter is probably best known as the lead singer of the English rock band Mata Hoople. His toughness and inventive style really set the stage for punk rock in the early 70s, I think. And now he's got a great new box set full of never-before-heard live material. I believe I've got Ian Hunter on the line right now in New York City. Ian, how are you today? I'm all right. How are you? Fantastic. Congratulations on the new 30-disc anthology called Stranded in Reality. I can't wait to get through that. One. It's a lot of tracks, you know, over 400. Wow. And did you have a hand putting this together? Uh, sort of, you know. I, I found out about it about uh, three and a half years ago that Topple were going to do it with a guy, Campbell Devine, who wrote the book on Mott. And uh, Campbell's uh, an architect by trade, but he's, his life is based around either me or Mott, you know. So we got together with Proper, and it's been, I think, three and a half years that it took him to do it. And I sort of went along with it, and... Uh, Campbell came to stay with me for a while, and we started digging out stuff that I really didn't even know I had. It was interesting, because I'd forgotten all about it. It's amazing, too, isn't it? It's it's not necessarily a record company uh, who put it together, but an actual fan. It's a fan's record. It's not, um, it's not a record company thing. The record company uh, <laughs> wilts every time he walks through the door, you know. He's <laughs> a terrier. He's after him non-stop, you know, like... But they like him, but it's, it's, he's a terrier, you know. That's the way it's been, you know. And he's the same when he came to stay with me. I mean, I, you find yourself unearthing stuff that you would never unearth in a million years. I guess that's Campbell's talent. He got what he wanted in the end, you know. Some of the great stuff that uh, I've heard were uh, your version of Day Tripper, which is one of the live tracks on this. Yeah, yeah. Was, Mick Robinson came around to my flat in uh, New York uh, one afternoon. And just sort of started doing that, you know, and I was like, whoa. I mean, the, the, the groove, I love the groove of that. I'm, we're going to do that live, it's great. When you started playing in different bands when you were basically a kid, did you think I could actually make a living doing this in the early days? Not at first. It would have been, I was a fan for about 10 years. All the way through the Beatles and the Stones, you know, the 60s. I was a fan. And uh, it wasn't until 69 that I got lucky. Uh, but I never thought ever I'd be anything other than a fan. I had a passion for it, and I stuck, and I stuck with it. You know. How many jobs do you figure you had before you became a full-time musician? Well, I counted them once, and I remember it was 44. Okay. <laughs> uh, I, I, I couldn't tell you what they were now, you know, but at the time, I remember it was 44. Yeah, yeah, a week here, two weeks there, you know. Because you could go to Germany, and you could work seven nights a week, seven hours a night. But uh, when you went back to England, there was like one gig on a Saturday night. So every time you went back to England, you had, you had to get a job. You didn't get dole in those days, you know. You didn't get welfare or anything like that. And I was married with two kids when I was 20. So, you know, I have things to look after. Was Mott the Hoople a job that you uh, actually auditioned for? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, there was a guy in Regent Street, uh, in Denmark Street, uh, in London, Bill Farley. And he had a place called Regent Sound. And it was a little four-track. And uh, it was famous because that was where the Stones did their first album. And uh, B- 
Bill Farley ran it, and he, he knew me. And uh, Mott went round there, they auditioned people there, you know, and uh, they didn't find anybody they wanted. And uh, so Bill rang me and said, hey, you've got to come and have a listen to these hairy people. And uh, <laughs> I went round there and got the job. You had the voice that they were looking for, in other words. Yeah, I think Guy Stevens, who was their manager, you know, he, he was a Stones fan and he was a Bob Dylan fan and he was looking for somebody in that area, you know, and I guess I set the bill. I know that his reputation was uh, as a little bit of a crazy in the studio, and, and uh, but that's maybe what you needed at that time, right? Yeah, but he was also he was also the DJ at the scene club in London. And, you know, Jagger and people like Eric Burden would go to him, you know, because he, he, he had all the American records. He was importing long before anybody else was. Very clever guy. He, he bought the Sioux label for, for Ireland Records. Guy was very knowledgeable. The trouble was he couldn't sing, you know. And did he not end up producing The Clash's London Calling? Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, it was because, of, well, you know, Mick Jones out of Clash was a mock fan, you know. And he, they wanted to go where we'd been, you know. And so they got Guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's, that's really incredible. Mick rang me up. Mick, yeah, Mick rang me up and said, you know, you think it'd be good for us? And I was like, well, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's, he's inclined to get like somewhat energetic in the studio, you know, like stuff would fly, you know. We had a fire once, you know. I heard about that, yeah. That Yeah, I, I rang up Blackwell, Chris Blackwell, you know, and he said the studio's on fire, Chris, and he said, was it really necessary? <laughs> so I said, yeah. <laughs> and that was the end of that, you know. Yeah, I guess, yeah, I guess that's that whole punk rock attitude, right? I guess it was. I don't know. I mean, yeah. didn't know what, we were just frustrated. That was all it was, yeah. You guys were, you know, you put on these huge epic concerts. How did that translate into the studio? It didn't. That was one yeah. of the problems still to this day. You never really actually ever heard Mott the Hoover. You had to go to a gig to hear that, you know. It was just very passionate. It was... Uh, and the people would get totally involved. I mean, there'd be more people on the stage than there was in the audience, most of the places, you know, crazy. We tried to make a live album a couple of times, but it was impossible because people would invade the stage and all the leads would fly out, you know. I know that David Bowie, you know, brings you the song, All the Young Dudes. Are you surprised at that time that he would give up a song like that? Yeah, I was. Um because the story went at the time he wrote it for us. Well, he didn't. You know, he'd already done it. Uh, and I think he'd done it into the ground. It was in a lower key. It was in the key of C. And uh, he'd done a lot. He, he played alto on it a lot, you know. And it was it was all right. But it wasn't, it wasn't really doing it. And I think he was fed up with it. And so we, we gave it a new lease of life, you know. What was it like for you uh, reuniting with Mott in 2009? That was great. Absolutely great. The rehearsals were great, you know. I mean, there's a lot of business difficulties, mainly created by uh, them. There's three of them got a manager. Me and Mick Ralph and I have one manager in that situation, and the other three have another manager. And it's a person I don't particularly get on with. So that was the business end of it was uh, pretty naff. But uh, the rehearsals, the gigs themselves, I mean, they're a hilarious band. I mean, there's at least three amazing comedians in that band. You know? <laughs> it was, it was great talking with Ian Hunter, we're all immortal when we're younger, right? But all these years later, how do you take care of your voice? Well, you know, I wasn't too popular for a long time. So, <laughs> so I never went out, you know. So, so I've got a lot left, you know. 
Uh, I'm thinking better now than I ever did. I guess because I don't smoke anymore, you know. You guys were really in it for the music back in the day, but now it's so much about marketing. Is that something that you've been able to wrap your own brain around? No, I never could. You know, uh, musicians by their very nature, they, the, the one side of the head's working and the other, the other side's not, you know. I mean, yeah, there are cases like Queen and Rush, people like that who can handle both sides, but... Uh, Unfortunately, we were not good at the marketing aspect. In fact, the, the marketing when when corporations started making a move in in the eighties, encroached into the music biz. Uh, that's when I kind of lost interest. You know, now I just like uh, I like to be on the fringe and I like to make uh, what I consider to be good music. And the rest is in the lap of the gods. And I'm hearing good things. I mean, are you in the midst of a tour right now? I just finished. We did thirty. We just finished, and we start again in June. Nice. And how is touring for you these days? Do you still enjoy it? The gigs are great. I mean, you'll hear this from everybody, but the airports stink, and the roads stink. Yeah. And uh, more cars, less roads, you know. All right. Ian Hunter's 30-disc anthology box set, Stranded in Reality. I can't wait. And uh, it's available now at propermusic.com. Such a pleasure talking to you, Ian. Oh, man. All right, best health to you, and and good luck. All right. All right, bye-bye. Ian's collaborations with Bowie, Mick Ronson, Mick Ralphs are legendary, and now he's quite comfortable playing just a few dates here and there, and Stranded in Reality really sounds like a great box set. We've come to the close of this edition of The Fake Show. Get updates on future shows by liking our Fake Show Facebook and Twitter pages, and share them with your friends. I'm Jim Tofty, and I'll see you next time. Take The Fake Show on the road by listening on SoundCloud, Stitcher, and iTunes. It's such a